What's up, guys? This is Alex Osterley, and thank you for tuning in to episode 10 of Food Marketing Nerds. So what does it really take to challenge the status quo of the CPG industry? Some might say time or creativity. Others might say strategy. Well, today's guest would likely say all the above. If you've never heard of Scott Jensen before, then surely you've heard of his first food startup, Stubbs Barbecue Sauce. Scott Jensen co-founded Stubbs Barbecue Sauce in the early 90s, which he sold a few years ago. And being the pioneer that he is, Scott is now the CEO of Rhythm Superfoods and has his hands in a lot of other great ventures that you're going to get to hear about in a few minutes. In this episode of Scott, you're going to learn where your marketing focus needs to be to increase sell-through rate at retail stores, how often you should be updating your packaging, why going after different retail channels at once can backfire on you, and a whole lot more. So let's go hang with Scott. Welcome to the Food Marketing Nerds Podcast, where we talk marketing, branding, and social media with the smartest minds in the business. Here's your host, Alex Osterley. Scott is a man of many talents who has not only built and sold the number one specialty barbecue sauce company, but is now helping others do the exact same thing as a board member of the CPG Incubator in Austin, Texas. And on top of that, he's also the CEO and president of the Better For You snack company, Rhythm Superfoods. So thanks so much for being here all the way from Austin, Texas. Thanks, Scott. Oh, no problem, Alex. Happy to be here. So can you give our listeners just a little bit of insight into your background and how you got where you are today? Well, if if we go way, way back, um, <laughs> I, I think I was like the first guy in grade school who had a bunch of boxes of candy in his locker and was trying to sell it, you know, for twice as much as I bought them for during recess. So I think the entrepreneurial buy low, sell high uh, bug got me early on. And when I went off to, uh, to college, went to SMU for my undergraduate, I was just fascinated with Dallas as this booming city at the time. And it was an entrepreneurial mecca. I had been living in the Northeast. And so I, I continued to just flourish as someone that was thinking outside the box and ended up working at a pretty creative advertising agency after, um, after my days at SMU. Moved forward uh, after that and uh, worked for the agency for a couple of years, but then moved up to uh, New York City to get my uh, MBA. And I ended up getting that MBA from New York University. It was kind of the time where we started the Stubbs Barbecue Sauce Company. It wasn't really a corporation, but we were cooking a lot of barbecue and learning how to cook barbecue from a guy named Stubb. And he, uh, he was living back here in Austin, where my two other partners, uh, John and Eddie, uh, had also come from Texas, so we were kind of displaced Texans up in, in New York City. So after we had tried his incredible barbecue that he had shipped up to us from Austin, we were, you know, light bulbs going off, like no one had ever had something so delicious up in New York or up in the Northeast where we were hanging out. So we were bound and determined to write a business plan to, at some point in the future, start that barbecue sauce business. So we all you know, went on and worked for other companies. I, I started uh, uh, my marketing career after the ad agency with a company called James River Corporation, which at the time was uh, multifaceted, but mostly paper and paper products. So Dixie Cups was the brand I was most uh, aligned with and working on for a couple of years while I was there. And then left that job to start the Stubbs Barbecue Sauce Company. So we never took no for an answer and, uh, and made great barbecue uh, 
Stubbs original recipes and expanded the product line into marinades and spice rubs and everything to do with meat preparation. So worked there for two decades. And ultimately that company, we sold that to McCormick, the spice company, awesome company out of Maryland to take it on its next journey for, you know, worldwide expansion, I guess. So that was a long time coming. The brand was the number one independent barbecue sauce company. There's a couple others that were bigger, but they're big, you know, billion dollar companies. And uh, we brought it along and, and sold it last year in 2015. But five years ago, I left Stubbs, uh, the company, and started a company called Rhythm Superfoods. It was originally named uh, Daily Juice Foods, uh, but we did change the name shortly thereafter to Rhythm Superfoods. And we basically use a lot of dehydration equipment to make fruits and vegetables, uh, really kind of whole fruits and vegetables, like not pureed up and not fried, but simply processed uh, into shelf-stable, delicious snacks. And that's what that's what I'm doing right now. I'm leading the company. I've got a great team of people here, and uh, we just see so much growth in our future. Um, we're super excited. And that's definitely such a, a great space to be in right now with the, with the focus on, on a healthier diet and just healthier snacks, which is something that Rhythm Superfoods offers that you can't necessarily get in the typical snack item. Yeah, we um, we position ourselves, uh, I guess, in, in what when I say position, there, there's only two things that we kind of grab attention from a consumer. One is the packaging on the shelf, and then we spend an awful lot of time, energy, and money putting product in front of consumers. So whether it's inside a store doing demonstrations or at specific events, whether a yoga retreat or a sporting event, we're constantly handing out samples. And so if you look at our nutritional panel on the back of our bags, you'll see that in comparison to most other fried or, or other types of snacks that don't have anything but like a, a vacant carbohydrate, like a, a white potato or a potato chip, we've got really good nutrition. So because our name is Rhythm Superfoods, we try to identify the raw materials or the produce to start with that has really high nutrition content. And then with the way we dehydrate, which is a, a gentle dehydration, lower temperature, it tends to leave most of the nutrients that might ordinarily be uh, evaporated if you were frying it or baking it at a high temperature. So you'll see vitamin content and of course fiber and protein. Uh, so we choose good you know, raw materials to start with. And we end up having something that's got a really good nutritional content for the consumers that are buying it. So how do you go about educating consumers that you guys are a different type of snack product, that the, your cooking process maintains that nutritional value? Well, being a smaller company, uh, we're not buying you know one-minute ads on the Super Bowl to announce things. We're, I say, methodic about where we spend the money. There's kind of a book in my mind that I follow, and that is like, You've got to get into a city or a region, and you've got to get into a certain amount of stores before you can start doing kind of general marketing, if you will. Uh, there's no billboards with our name on it uh, until such time that we were to get into, say, 75% of the stores in a city or a region. So early on in the first you know, five, six, seven years of any company, where you're slowly getting into more and more supermarkets, we believe it's best to spend most of our money where the people are, are uh, making their purchase decision, and that's inside a store. So our trade marketing, 
budget and our consumer marketing budget all tends to be inside the four walls of the, the markets where we, uh, where we operate. So whether it's demonstrations where someone's you know, sitting in a store with a Rhythm Superfoods t-shirt on and handing out samples, or if it's buy two, get one free, and there's a big bright yellow sticker uh, that we've done a deal with the retailer, and that sticker is attracting people to the shelf. Those are very costly. The money that goes into giving a special price is, is mostly paid for by us. So that's a big part of trade spending. And then we'll do things like ads in the flyers of the supermarket or pay for uh, some end cap displays, uh, either through a discount or through a fee for an end cap display. So a lot of what we do to catch the attention is inside where the purchase decision is being made. And then we, and then the message is, if you look at our packaging, it's bright, it's cheerful, um, it's transparent in terms of everything we talk about is true and honest. We invite people to come to our website and uh, and see what we're doing and who our suppliers are and uh, you'll see some really neat innovative things coming in at the end of this year you know uh, November December of 2016 we'll be putting in uh, some really cool stuff that'll elevate our transparency to our consumers we have a real focus on who we're selling to and who our consumers are and they're you know, we have to respect them in ways that you never had to respect, I guess, in the old school days of consumer marketing in 50s and 60s, I guess. But there's so much access to information. You can't be fooling people. And so transparency is the key. I think it's the, the hallmark of what we do is we're standing in with our employees in front of people sitting in a supermarket, handing out samples. Please tell us how you like it. Don't like it. Give us feedback. If we're selling it on Amazon, uh, we're, we're absolutely engaged with people that are buying things from us directly through Amazon or through our own website. Our interaction in social media on, uh, you know, whether it's Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter, we engage. And so when you open yourself up to that, you can op also open yourself up to people that want to say not so nice things about you for whatever reason, whether they're true or they have a different agenda. But we engage and you can't get away with it like maybe you could have gotten away with something. You know, I'm going to define what my image is in the 50s and 60s and 70s and even 80s. But as you got into the capability of social media, there's no more hiding. So transparency has really got to be one of your main legs of the stool you, you sit on. So when it comes to, to transparency in social media, how how has social media really revolutionized that that access to information and access to companies? And how, how have you guys leveraged that to to open yourselves up to that transparency? Um, we're committed to transparency, and that's talking about ingredients, what we do to source ingredients, where we produce our products. I don't know if technically we're going to be able to pull this off, but I want to get live shots of the farms where our produce grows, and sometimes they're in pretty rural areas. So availability of Wi-Fi and that kind of stuff is, is not the easiest thing, but we're going to work on it and see if we can give people a shot, a close-ups of kale growing or broccoli growing and attempt to do the same inside of our manufacturing facility. And I think as we grow as a company, I, I want to continue to push the envelope on what transparency means because that is what our consumers are telling us. They want to know that we're not doing something deceptive or we're, you know, 
we're not doing something that they wouldn't approve of. So we have to get ahead of that and tell people what we're doing so that they don't misinterpret something, which often happens. So kind of changing gears to to SKU, which is the high growth CPG company incubator. What are some of the, the biggest learning opportunities for, for young companies that something that you picked up during your time at Stubbs or or through your work at, at Rhythm Superfoods that, that as far as market, go to market strategy goes, that you tell each of these different companies in your incubator that, uh, that they, it's a must do or that they absolutely need to focus on? Yeah, I, there, are, there are a couple of, you know, I think like pivotal points that you really have to focus on. And I think, first of all, SKU uh, is over the four tracks or teaching tracks that we've done. I think has done an exceptional job of getting into the nitty gritty. There are other accelerators and, and opportunities for people to get involved in, in some, some level of leadership of let me show you how it's done, you who has not done it before. And a lot of times it gets very professorial and it's theory and it's let's put a group of people together that may never ever call you as an advisory group. And at SKU we focused on curriculum and actual the classes and bringing a team of mentors that were committed on a weekly basis to meeting with these these young companies. Since we're dealing with folks who have just incredibly recently had a market-proven product that they're selling, so they hadn't been around for five years necessarily, they may have just gotten into their first 50 stores or 100 stores, and they're wondering what this is all about, who is a distributor, and, and who's a broker, and what do you do with these people, and <clears throat> and why do I need to upgrade my packaging? So we get nitty-gritty into the details. So I'll just say that because not all of the incubators or accelerators do. And what I've witnessed in the four tracks that I've been involved in is that's super, super important. And once the, the track is over and let's say you have a pitch day, like are the birds kicked out of the nest or is there still a nest for them to fly back to? And what I've found is the mentors that have been involved involved with the with the companies that have gone through SKU uh, continue to be involved. I'm involved with most of the ones that I've uh, that I've met in the first track five years ago, uh, let alone the ones that just graduated a year ago. So I think the first thing I often bring in and and try to and this is you know there's, sometimes there's fact and sometimes there's opinion and my opinion is that you need to be updating your packaging every two years. And whether that's a small refresh or it really needs an overhaul depends on the specific circumstance. But most folks that come into the Accelerate at that time have, have had like their cousin or a friend of a friend who's got a, a design software, uh, pretty good, just came out of college, you know, he or she is going to do my packaging. And there's real knowledge from expensive professionals that I believe greatly in. And so when, when, when you hear the sticker shock of how much it costs to get really beautiful packaging done by really talented people, usually the young companies are like, oh my God, I would never spend that much on, on packaging. And so you don't have any money to spend on, uh, again, the Super Bowl ad for one minute or the billboards or the radio. So if you really want to target, I guess there's some online stuff, whether you want to target some Facebook ads or, 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 or the like. The packaging is the communication. It's all of it. It's 99% of what you're going to do to attract attention. So spending behind that and making sure that your packaging is perfect uh, is like the first thing right out of the gate. And it's, it's oftentimes like telling you know, someone that their baby is ugly. And you're, you're you know, oh, are you kidding? My sister 
made this box and I love it because I directed her. Like not that it's, you know, super ugly, it's just it's just not gonna appeal on the shelf and you didn't go to the shelf and measure what most cracker boxes are nine inches high. Why is yours six? You've left a lot of space on the shelf where you could have had more billboard or you've made your cracker box three inches wide instead of the standard seven inches wide. You've missed out on having the ability to communicate across the standard size for a cracker box. I'm just making that up, but that's the nature of when someone first comes in. It's often the first bit of it is telling them that, that they've got to do some refresh on their packaging. And I'll say the second thing more briefly is there are times when I've seen folks that want to conquer the entire world and when I say conquer the world, like I want to bring this product to every convenience store, every natural supermarket, every drugstore, every club store, every grocery store, and start exporting immediately. So trying to bite off way more than you can chew. It's hard enough to build a company that's focused just on one channel, let alone two. So I've seen several companies come in and they just want to bite off more than they can chew. And if you want to go to all these different channels, you know, you, you have to build a sales team. The, the same salesperson that goes to, uh, you know, the convenience stores is not the same sales team that goes to the grocery channel. It's different knowledge. It's different learning. It's different brokers. It's different trade shows, each of them with their own budget. So coming straight out of the gate, if you think you want to be selling to restaurants and supermarkets and, you know, Costco and CVS, it's it's not impossible, but you will run out of all of your money very quickly and many investors will will run from you because you're not focused on succeeding in one area. You want to tackle everything. So that, I think that's the two things I would say that I, I jump right in and try to get to the bottom of immediately. Hmm. And this can be speaking on behalf of SKU or the companies that you worked with there or even even Rhythm. Do you see the value between e-commerce and, and retail shifting at all as far as sales channels? Yeah, I mean, the, on, on the grocery side of CPG, because, you know, consumer products can be razor blades, right? And there's a very successful company just sold their razor blade company to a very big company. Um, and that's a technological model there, right? There's people that didn't want to spend $4 per blade and the frustration there, uh, they, they set about to create a brand that provides you with a subscription, basically sending you the blades when when you when you need them some of us don't change them out you know often enough but if you're not if you're paying less than half of per blade than you were before maybe you're okay at accepting you know a subscription to to a razor blade com company i tend to be uh, focused and my expertise is in the food uh, food side specifically so i see great things happening right now when i read everything that amazon is doing and other folks that are in the space, whether it's the, the folks that are sending you product in a box that you're going to prepare for dinner that night, um, and there's you know a dozen of them, or if it's some of the other marketplaces like Thrive that are or Jet that are alternatives to um, to Amazon, it's really robust. It's also really small, and so there's specific products that do super well in that space. I don't think there's any reason, there's no reason why it's not going to grow exponentially for the next 10 to 20 years. It is growing that way, but from a small base. 
uh, we do business through Amazon and several other uh, uh, online retailers. It's still you know less than ten percent of our total revenue, and I I feel like it's going to triple every year. So within the next four or five years, you could have a pretty serious amount of business uh, online. What it also demands though is that it kind of can't be a side project. It needs its own people that are focused on it and learning how to market on it. Amazon has recently done a really good job of reaching out to teaching new people on their website, uh, on their marketplace, how to best market at Amazon. And uh, before that, you needed someone like that used to work at Amazon to be your broker to guide you through the intricacies of of how you should be pricing things and how you should be expanding your your information that you offer in your in your store online, whether you add videos uh, on how to cook with it or, or or things like that. So there's a professionalization, particularly on Amazon, where they kind of let you be in control of everything. That if if you're doing it as a side project, it'll always be kind of like a break even pain in the butt to work on. Whereas if you assign that project to someone to become the expert, I think things move along a lot faster. And that, that is what we did. Um, I actually um, tapped our VP of marketing to, to accelerate what was going on on Amazon. And so we've, we've made a huge commitment on that. Um, and that will expand into the other online marketers that we're doing business with. But for right now, she can just focus on one. And then by the end of this year, um, we'll have a refreshed a kind of relaunch of everything online and then expand that to the other online retailers that we're doing business with. That's super interesting. And I appreciate all your, your transparency in these answers. And I know, I know you're a busy guy, so I, I could sit here and pick your brain for for hours but I'll go ahead and, and wrap up we've got a couple couple questions we ask each of our each of our guests one of which being I know that you have a lot of your on your plate so do you have anything in particular that you use or any uh, any daily tasks or, or rituals that you use to stay productive there's one thing I want to do <laughs> I just decided that I was going to commit to it just a couple weeks ago I'm gonna start wiping out a continual weekly uh, zone of three to four hours on a Tuesday or a Wednesday. I haven't picked which one. I know that sounds like, why don't you just be decisive and do it? But I have tend to let my calendar run me. And just in following some of the thought leaders that are about efficiency and how to be more productive and talking with some other people that I, that I see that are super productive, the setting aside where no one can take that time so that you can then catch up on the things that pile up on your desk uh, I've got too many piles on my desk, so I've got to get institutional about it. And so uh, I was basically going to run it by some of our, our leadership team here to make sure that I'm not going to kind of like wipe out this time zone where it's really important for them to have it available for me. So that's one thing I'm committing to. The other thing is I do let a pretty large amount of time go where I'm not answering the phone uh, and and not answering email. So we do a lot of stuff at a pretty high level and there's some strategic things happening and you got to sometimes separate yourself from the bother that happens from the need to look up on the emails and to answer the phone when it's ringing. And so I, uh, I do take, you know, a couple of, uh, uh, of hours per day where I push that off completely and won't respond to emails. I just, I see some people that have the phone tied to them. So those are pretty productive for me. I've also found that, 
uh, as the company's gotten bigger, I don't have an administrative assistant, and, and I desperately need one so that I can be more effective. And so we put that in the budget for next year to bring one in, a shared resource for the leadership team so that I'm not spending 35 minutes on uh, Google Flights looking for the cheapest, fastest flight to L.A. to have a meeting. So, I, you know, without one, that's who does it is me. Well, I'm sure that'll be a, a huge time saver for you. Uh, last question here. So are there any books that you've read in the past that uh, that have really shaped the way that you think either in in marketing or business or as a leader? Uh, Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to go out on a limb here because I think some of the answers to those questions from business leaders, you know, you'll see the classic stuff from good to great. Tim Ferriss that writes the four hour work week and four hour body and four hour chef. I find his books and then following through with a lot of the interviews that he does with uh, business leaders and, and other types of leaders uh, have been the most progressive way of thinking about, you know, I guess, hacking life, if you will. Uh, he does a lot of traveling and things that, that are outside of the business scope of, of making me a better leader. But I love some of the efficiency stuff that he, he gets out of uh, other business leaders to find out what they're doing. And so I try to adapt some of the things that, uh, in my daily and weekly tasks to, to putting off answering the email and the phones. And that, that's something kind of, you know, you think everyone knows that and should do that. But that's something I got out of uh, re- reading his book. Um, and then continue to follow him uh, on his podcast. Uh, the second thing I said real quickly is I'm a member of YPO, which is called Young Presidents Organization. And uh, they have some pretty steep requirements in terms of revenue to, to be a part of it. But the, the group itself is incredibly good at building business leaders family leaders, personal leadership. Um, so in YPO, um, whatever, whatever city you happen to be in, there's somewhere nearby that there's a chapter. And on an annual basis, if you commit yourself to being in it, you're put into a forum of seven, eight, or nine people that meet on a monthly basis. And it's all good, confidential. This is what I'm struggling with and with my family or with my business or, or with my friendships. And you get really good open feedback from a group of people that are in basically the same situation as you. The YPO chapters bring in a lot of resources to speak about how to better your life. Um, and so I found a, a, a tremendous amount of value being a member of YPO. And I, I'd be remiss if I didn't say that as one of the things that, that has shaped me over the last several years. Really, really love the organization. Well, that's great. And thank you so much, Scott, for, for sharing your insight. I respect the accomplishments that you've, that you've made and, and the ones that, that are to be made here in the, in the near future and, and the distant future, too. So I'm, I'm sure our, our listeners really appreciate the information that you've given us. And thank you again so much. So where can people find out more about what you're working on and, and Rhythm Superfoods? So in the next couple of months, we'll have an update on our website. we got a really good, robust website. It's you know rhythmsuperfoods.com. Tough word to spell, R-H-Y-T-H-M, superfoods.com. And um, I would go there first. Uh, We're we're obviously on all the social media platform uh, as well. But um, I'm kind of old school. I like our website. I think you can learn a lot there. And with the refresh that we'll do in the next couple of months, you'll see a whole new level of transparency on, on, on field and factory, if you will. And who we are, you'll see pictures of everyone that works here. Um, we, we're, we're humans, we're people trying to make a difference. And so you can get really close to the company by going to our, our website or to our social media platforms. Great. Well, thanks again, Scott. 
Okay. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks again for tuning in to Food Marketing Nerds. If you guys are enjoying the podcast or finding any of the information helpful to you or your business, we would really, really appreciate it if you could take a quick second to give us your honest feedback in a review on iTunes. Thanks again for tuning in, and I will talk to you all next week. Thanks for listening to the Food Marketing Nerds Podcast. For interview transcripts or to download your free social media ebook, check out foodmarketingnerds.com.